0: If you ask 20 people what does it mean to have mental health, you're going to get 20 different answers, some derivative of your, it means you feel good, and it does not. Mental health means your central nervous system is regulated, and nobody knows that because the mental health world is not teaching that because it's 30 years behind the curve, because that's how long it takes academia to catch up with the current science. So mental health is in your body, not your mind. You're listening
1: to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm your host, Jackie Coke, and we have a meaty episode for you today. Today, I am joined by a guest, and on the show, we dive into... All things brain and neuroscience and why really getting you to the root cause of why you're struggling with your team members to solve problems, get through meetings and really just work together. And it's all based on super simple neuroscience and there's tactical things that you can start to do immediately to start working better with your teams and work through some of those problems. So I know you're going to love the show and you're going to have some takeaways, Um, Today, you're going to hear me chatting with Britt Frank, and a little bit about Britt is she received her undergrad from Duke University and a master's degree from the University of Kansas. She's a licensed neuropsychotherapist and trauma expert trained in IFS and SE, In addition to her private practice, she's also a speaker and an instructor at the University of Kansas, where she's taught classes on ethics, addiction, and clinical social work. She also is very open about some of the personal stuff that she's gone through, which kind of led her to doing the work that she does. So she was born and raised in New York. She struggled for more than two decades with chemical and behavioral addictions, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, OCD you know, bad relationships and complex PTSD. Eventually she found her way out of the mess with a lot of help. Um, Oh, and she says, and a brief stint in a religious cult and became a therapist. So she is incredible. She knows what she's talking about, both from academia as well as her own personal experience. I'm so excited that you get to listen in on this combo. Britt, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so excited to dive in with you and and chat all about a bunch of stuff with you today. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So would love to first start out If you could just give listeners a little bit of a background into what you do in the world and, you know, a little bit about your
0: background. So I have on my website, like here's my professional background and here is the sorted personal story. So I want the
1: personal one first, the personal <laughs> one first.
0: I usually use the professional one to build credibility. But okay. Like, okay. We, we can do your flow. We'll do your flow. <laughs> so people don't tune me out. Like I went to Duke, but I was also addicted to meth and I'm a licensed specialist clinical social worker with a post postgraduate specialization in trauma in the brain and just a hot disaster of a human being addiction eating disorders, um, really crazy making, terrible relationships, adult trauma, childhood trauma, just a mess of a disaster of a human trying to human. And in my getting better, I discovered, and I have a business background, all I want to do is nerd out on the brain and brain science and these very They're not easy, but they are not complex ways of if you, it's like driver's ed for the brain. If people knew this, their lives would work better. And it's better for everyone if your life works better. It's not altruism. It's like my life is better if your life is better. So everyone needs to know this. So I pivoted in my early 30s, went to grad school, got my degree. And um, my first book came out last year, The Science of Stuck, because everyone knows what it's like to be stuck. Not everyone identifies as, yes, I have this very high level mental health challenge. But everyone, a decade in private practice plus, everyone knows what it's like to be stuck. So that's, I am a stuck specialist.
1: You are a stuck specialist. Gosh. Okay. So, so many ways I could (laughs) dig into questions here, but I guess first question I have is like, so this podcast is a lot about relating to team members and building a team and running a team and a lot of the, the people side of business. I have to imagine over your time working with clients a lot of people struggle with being feeling stuck at work. What what are some of like the common ways that people that you like found like are there like common themes where people how people feel stuck as it relates to like their their work life?
0: Oh, a million. And it all boils down to this one little brain science thing. People expect work people, especially if they're managing a team or if they're an entrepreneur and they're a startup, people expect their people to be logical. And that is just not how human brains brain in groups. So if you're going into a meeting expecting logic and you know rational thinking and strategy to make sense and rule the day, it should. But any brain that's in a state of whatever, for whatever reason, if it's dysregulated, if it's afraid, if it's stressed, if it's overwhelmed, whatever, the logical parts of our brain go offline and the emotional parts take over, which is why very rational, intelligent, capable people, all of a sudden you're trying to manage this adult person who is very, very capable and you feel like you're fighting with a toddler. Oh my God. It's it's a thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I literally feel like I was, well, I don't feel like it. I was just having this conversation, not this conversation. You've just like, helped me have such a different view of a situation that, of multiple situations that have been happening with clients. Okay. I need to know more. Sorry. I cut you off.
0: I just couldn't stop myself. (laughs) Oh, it's totally fine. And I'm an incredibly analytical, logical person too. And it bothers me when we can't just, but I get dysregulated, meaning all of the logical parts of my, it's like having an amazing computer that's not attached to the internet. It's like, you're not getting online. And so often companies and team leaders are trying to solve Emotional, what they used to call the limbic system, the emotional brain. You cannot solve an emotional brain problem with a cognitive brain solution. I'm being incredibly simplistic here just for time and reasons. But when you try to solve an emotional based problem with a cognitive based solution, you're going to miss the mark. And then you're going to be shaking your fists at the air, going, Why don't they just get this? Like, why is this the thing? But company dynamics are very much the same as family. Family dynamics. Everyone comes into a company with the same attachment style and the same issues that came from their family of origin. And again, you don't have to be a therapist to your people. But if you know a few basic ways of recognizing when someone's brain is offline, and a few tools to get them back online, you're going to find meeting times are cut in half, the circular conversations to Hades that go nowhere, stop. And you can get where you want to go. I'm like, all companies should know this. Like, this sort of neuroscience, mental health info is good for your bottom line. It just saves so much time and totally. frustration. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yes. Yes. I need more of this for me to get through my days, and also so that I can make be a better, you know, consultant for my clients. Um, and I'm sure listeners are like, yes, okay, this makes sense. So I guess question I have is. Is there like an average, like how often would a person be offline in a day? Like how frequently does it happen? Does it happen way more than
0: we, we think? It does. And that's because people think of these dysregulation challenges as just what you see in terms of severe depression or severe addiction. But I work with incredibly capable, high functioning, high success, like high achieving people that are nailing it across the board. They're doing well, but they are not well. And I know what that's like because I was able to do really well while being an absolute disaster. And so it's not enough to just do well. We want people to be well while doing well. I I think people think if I focus on my mental health, that means I'm not going to be productive and I'm not going to be motivated and I'm just going to be soft and coddling my people. And that's just not true. So I would say the problem is huge as evidenced by the current mental health crisis. Anyone who works with people in any capacity in the business world can look around and go, wow, we are not okay. Like this is not working, especially with the pandemic and hybrid work and going back to the office. And again, there are neuroscience reasons why people are spinning and you can't solve everything with these tools, but you can get it from a 10 dialed down to a four, which makes a very big difference. Oh, totally, totally.
1: So when, oh my gosh, so many questions. I guess the question that I would have to that would, well, first let's go into what are some of what are some of the the things that you can notice? Like what what might be happening where you can pinpoint that? And first, I want to talk about pinpoint somebody else, and then how <laughs> can you know when you're the one doing it? Because I would venture to guess most of the time, to- a lot of the time, the leader thinks it's somebody else, but it's them. <laughs>
0: Oh, how fun to just look at your own stuff first. So, I mean, really the number one tell is if you are trying to solve a problem and you can see very clearly that this this is what it is. It's one plus one equals two, and this is what we need to do. Because I have found a lot of these problems that companies are facing are not the problems themselves. It's this communication breakdown of how do I get this person to see what I am seeing and to understand what I'm understanding? Because it's not always that complex. Nevertheless, here we are butting heads. So I would start with if you feel like you're having an irrational conversation and it's just this is not landing and you can feel that in your body. You can feel we all notice like to feel frustrated and to feel like like, no, you're not getting what I'm saying. And the number one mistake people make in that situation, if you're on the observing end is trying to figure out why, like, why are they not getting it? doesn't matter why they're dysregulated. It doesn't matter why. that's my job. You don't need to know why their brains offline to get it back on. And people think insight is the key to change. And it's not. So you don't need to know why someone is spinning to get them to stop spinning. You don't need to know why someone's stuck to get them unstuck. Just noticing, wow, they are not here right now, which means all of my best logical things aren't going to work. I need to reach for a different set of tools.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it is all, almost always communication-based. Like, And and the problems are usually about, I mean, I'm repeating myself, but the communication. So, so when you notice that somebody, okay, so it's like you can't have it's like, it's not registering. They're not seeing what's blind, like directly in front of them. Sometimes it might, is there time? Like, I feel like there's a lot of times where it isn't that cut and dry, where you're just like, does this person, like what's going on here? It's more like a, are they totally understanding? It's like, is there a way to get, like, what tool can you use if you're not sure? If you're kind of like, I don't think this person is actually thinking well, but I don't know. Like, are there tools you can do to like, Diagnose. I'm not diagnose, obviously. (laughs) I know what you
0: mean. You know what I mean. And it's tricky, right? Because the obvious tells are the fidgeting and the, you know, eyes not being able to hold a gaze. But again, there are a lot of incredibly capable people that have no tells whatsoever. And so not all solutions are cut and dry, but you know. You can almost always feel when someone is is just not being rational. And the number one tell that someone else is not being rational is when you're feeling all of those frustration. And again, this isn't an always every situation for every person. Sometimes you are being irrational. Sometimes they are. But often if you're doing a self-check first, like, is this my stuff? Is this their stuff? Like, what is going on here? You can tell by your own level of frustration how online or offline someone is. But what happens is in our efforts to get someone to understand us, our brains go offline. And then you have two very smart people with no access to their intelligence, duking it out for dominance. And then it becomes this power thing. And no one is consciously doing this. It's just, you can tell a meeting that should be 10 minutes is going for 90. People are not in their cognitive thinking minds. So I always say, start with your own system how on a one to 10 with 10 being you're going to punch someone in the face and one being everything is sunshine and daisies. Where are you? If you're higher than a five on a one to 10, assume we've got to try, we've got to change the strategy. Anytime you see someone on a one to 10 higher than a five, assuming that there's not actually a crisis happening, you know, like if there's a tornado and they're freaking out, that's appropriate. But if you see someone operating at a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 to a 3, 4 situation, we need to pause, step back and change the tools. But most people aren't taught how to drive your brain. I wasn't, I don't know if you were, but like, here's driver's ed for your brain. And here's your brain's gas pedal and the brake pedal and the emergency brake and the check engine light. And here's how to do it. We're not taught that. So of course we're all crashing into the walls at work. So then, I, I do this tat, this
1: scale. I'm like, oh my gosh, this person, I'm at i I'm at an eight. Like, this something is 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 up here, and I do my own self reflection, and I'm like, I really don't think it's me, my stuff. I really don't. Like, what what can I do? What are some of those tips that listeners can start to do to try to right the ship?
0: Well, in the perfect world, everyone in your company, everyone on your team, has this language of emotional brain versus cognitive brain. And so, before you even get into working on the problem, just like what number are you at right now? And if people can say I'm at a seven, then we know we we have to do a few things before we even get into the weeds of the problem. And so, teaching people how to do that is very helpful. But assuming that hasn't happened, and now here we are, we're in the middle of the situation. The number one way to get someone's brain to come back online and people hate this because it sounds coddling is to validate. Validating is not a synonym for agreeing. I can validate you with completely disagreeing with every single thing you're saying. It's validating is just I see you, I hear you, you make sense. I don't agree with it, but I get how you came to that conclusion. But people think if I validate somehow I'm losing my power, somehow I'm co-signing on their thing, somehow there's this zero sum game where if I validate I lose it. But validation from a neuroscience perspective is going to deactivate that emotional reaction, get them back into their logic brain, and then you can get back into whatever it is you need to figure out. Yeah.
1: I love what you said about setting the ground rules for how to have the conversation. It's like, well, I guess you didn't say that, but what that's like my, that's kind of my interpretation of it is like in your company, you should have operating procedures or ground rules and establish some vocab, vocabulary and ways that you handle things because then you have that to go back to and it diffuses the situation, right? Like I, I've tried so hard. I have a client of mine that um, has been struggling. Um, a few folks on the team have been struggling and to work together. And I was like, why don't you like, why don't like have the meeting, establish what you're going to do, get their buy-in that they're going to allow you to, to try some stuff and and lay off a little bit for for a little bit of time so you can try it out and tell them you're going to keep them up to date with what's going on and just ask them to give you space and then establish a code word that you can say to them if they're starting to encroach on what they've promised they're not going to do, right? And I feel like it's kind of the same thing as what you're saying. It's like, if you do have that language, then it's like, what number are you at it like automatically pops them out and it makes it less about them as a person yes and more yes, yes, yes. about the situation
0: Having a structure for a hard conversation is almost always going to prevent much of the relational shenanigans that we see, but it takes effort and it takes, but once you have a structure and a containment, when you have the infrastructure to hold whatever needs to happen, it works so much better. And I appreciate that the corporate world is on board with this mental health matters, but the the pendulum has overcorrected a bit where now people are being told you have to have empathy and you need to bring your feelings to work and everyone needs to be you know, like communicating their traumas. And that's just not how it should go. That bringing yourself to work does not mean expressing every feeling and every hard thing. You know, that's why I like the number system. You know, how are you on a one to 10? I can say I'm at a two without going into, I don't like the phrase trauma dumping because it's kind of shamey, but I do understand that that is a thing people think they need to do. I need to share all of my stuff with my team. And during a team check-in, I need to just say, here's everything that's going wrong. And our managers need to have, you don't need to have empathy to validate. You do not, I like empathy. Empathy is great, but you can be a sociopath and validate someone and help them redirect their brain from emotional to cognitive you don't sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day to have empathy for every person in every situation but that's not the thing that changes this dynamic it's skill not empathy it's structure not the feelings work and it's having a system and not having to just sort of now have this mess of feelings like we can bring our feelings to work fine but we don't need to express them all that's that's the key I'm so gr- I'm so glad that you brought that up because I do feel like
1: the word mental health has almost lost its weight because it's being just thrown around as ex- like, I'm not saying all the time. And so listeners, like, I really hope I don't offend, but I do think that there's times where people use it as an excuse or it's, or it's even just like, they don't know what it means. It's not defined well. I guess, is and that's maybe our it, fault. What I mean, exactly.
0: Yes, and that's our industry. And again, I am. A sexual assault survivor, I take psych meds, I've been in therapy my whole life, I am the first person to say I am not unkind or not understanding the depth of this problem. But you're so right. If you ask 20 people, what does it mean to have mental health, you're gonna get 20 different answers, some derivative of it means you feel good. And it does not mental health means your central nervous system is regulated. And nobody knows that because the mental health world is not teaching that because it's 30 years behind the curve because that's how long it takes academia to catch up with the current science so mental health is in your body not your mind and that's what's hard about this topic as a leader at times because you don't know
1: what to do like okay just take another day off or like take a, a mental health day that doesn't solve the problem like having a headspace membership to meditate does not is not solving the problem right and 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 it's hard to know what to do. So what I'm hearing is some of the things that you're saying on things to do is like set some of those those have the discussion around how do we have these conversations and and setting setting up some of those things is what um I'm hearing that that definitely I think would be help is going to be helpful for me as well as I'm sure listeners. Is there anything else that you think is crucial for businesses in general to do to support, you know, their teams, like
0: well-being. And none of, again, none of this includes be a therapist to your people. You want to be a broker of resources, but you don't need to be a therapist, which means you don't need to ask them what's wrong. You don't need to ask them what's going on. Just saying and seeing this is where we're at can sometimes be enough. And the, the, tool slash hack that I'm going to share again is annoying. It's sort of like eye roll. Do I have to do this? And the answer is yes, because your alternative is to waste time, energy, and money not doing it. And it's find out how the people on your team would feel. I remember when I was in the business world, I had a very nice, but very stoic boss who would, say, come to my office. And I would see everyone would see these emails and we would all think we were getting fired. And so I remember saying to him like, Hey, if you're not actually firing us, can you put a smiley? Can you use some sort of punctuation to indicate that like, everything is cool. I just need to have a talk about whatever. That actually made a huge difference because when your brain is not dysregulated, you're going to have more productivity, more motivation. You're going to work faster. You're going to work smarter and finding out from your people, Hey, if I need to have a conversation with you, what's the best way to approach you? Like what, and here are your options. You know, do you want to call? Do you want an email? Do you want a text? Do you want to have a video call? You don't need to reinvent the wheel, give them four choice. Anywhere choices are present, your brain is going to react with less Overwhelm and less explosions. So give choices. And they don't, this is sort of like having kids. Do you want broccoli or spinach? Like you're eating your vegetables, but the presence of choices deactivates our impulse to go offline. And the impulse isn't conscious, it's just physiology. So give your people, ask them, how would you like me to approach you if I have to confront you? What time of day are you less likely to feel? Spinny, like if we have to have a hard conversation, is it better first thing in the morning and that's again it 's not about coddling your people it 's about being strategic and skillful, so you only have to do it once, and you don 't have to have circular things that go nowhere. Those are really oh my frustrating gosh.
1: that is the best advice ever. Make a little list in fact, make cards or make some sort of document where everybody like shares it with the whole team, like come up with those questions. And then everyone share it and share it with your whole team or I don't know, you maybe can't do it with your whole company, but at least like with your team members that you're working with. And that's huge. That is
0: great. Advice. I love that. Thank you. And for people that. push back. They're like, we don't have time to deal with like, you know, Joe likes to talk at lunch and you know, Sue likes to talk. But again, the alter- what's the alternative? You can do the work on the front end of developing the skill to understand how people's brains brain, or have a company full of dysregulated people. Like you're actually gonna save time by investing time in doing it this way. I didn't make the rules. That's just brain science. Mm-hmm. So then like would the same be
1: true about, I think another aspect of mental health in the workplace is like overworked or like not rec- like, there's just too much work for me to get done. Um, my boss isn't listening to me. Like they're just putting more on my plate or, you know, I guess, would you say there's a way to solve for that as well? Is in, would that be like asking questions and giving choices? Or I guess how, what would be
0: your advice in that area? So real talk, not every boss or manager or team leader cares if they're overworking. And so that might be that your choice points, if you're on the receiving end, are to stay and accept that this is a toxic work environment. And as long as, and again, not everyone has the luxury. If you have kids to feed, if you have aging parents, you can't just up and leave, but you if you know that this is not going to change and you are not working with people who care about making it safer and more efficient, then your choices are to stay or to go. And if you're going to stay, we need to find more support outside of work to make work bearable. So that's the first thing. Sometimes people don't want to change and then you have a choice to stay or go. And that's unfortunate. The other one though, is if you do have people that are willing, then again, having these conversations to create the structures on the front end, the overwork thing, that's as a team leader, that's your responsibility to know if you're overworking your people and making it safe for your people to tell you that. But that's not always the case, especially if you're a team leader that's reporting to someone that's reporting to someone that's demanding this level of output or else everyone is getting fired. Sometimes the reality is the work level is impossible and we either need to lean into it or look elsewhere. And that sounds so harsh, but that's, that's just the reality. If we can change it, let's change it. But some things aren't changing. Yeah, it. for sure. I guess if you're listening, if, if, for listeners
1: listening to the show, I would, I mean, if you're listening to a podcast on like how to be a good boss, I have to imagine you're at least trying. Um, so I guess I would say like, do the work to really understand how much time work takes to understand bandwidth constraints and, and, you know, I would I, I would I, I'm kind of just thinking on the fly here, but I guess you could like come up with choice options of like, OK, this needs to get done, like help them prioritize is almost kind of like a giving them choices. Right. Like um, or
0: negotiating timelines, you know, those types of things for sure. And knowing when they work the best. Like I am really good at having a mountain of tasks on my plate first thing in the morning. I will not do that same mountain of tasks in any way at the same speed or efficiency or skill if it's two in the afternoon. And so if you have to load someone up on work-life balance is a total myth. Anything that's worth doing is going to disrupt your balance. So that's saying to someone, not glossing it over with, hey, it's going to be a great day. It's saying to them, this is going to be a terrible day. You are Going to have a bad day. I get that. I see that. I want to support you through it. When is the best time of day for you to do the? the worst of the heavy lifting here. And then working with that person's system. And most people don't have the wherewithal to know that for themselves. So as a trauma-informed, mental health-informed, neuroscience-informed team leader or boss, knowing you might have to coach them on actually considering when is my best time? Like after lunch is not a good time for this. And before breakfast is not a good time for that. And then it is about strategizing how to divide the workload instead of here's the task off you go cuz most people won't know how to do that. Well, I think I have a topic for your next book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, I mean, they do like I really do think this stuff like you you mentioned it, you you said it in a few different ways a couple times of like this is not hard stuff, but it's it has to be intentional essentially or or a version of that and it's like you know, I'm listening to you talk and, and the advice you're giving is not like, like earth, I I, I want to say it's earth shattering advice, but it's just like people just, they get but so caught up. We don't know. We don't know
0: this. We don't know. I was horrified after four years of school to learn that like, this is. Again, life's not easy, but these tools are not complex. I'm like, you're telling me I spent how many, like, how much money in therapy? How much time beating my head against the wall? And this is the information? Like a third grader could understand this. And it was horrifying to discover. Again, life is complex. This is doable.
1: And like how much easier life would have been all, all along the way if you would have known. Uh, well, I have loved this convo. There's so many other areas I didn't get a chance to dive in. So hopefully you can come back on the show. Um, but as we're starting to wrap up, can you share with listeners how they can learn more from you? I feel like you have a
0: wealth of knowledge. Like
1: how can they learn from you?
0: Thank you for that. And this was a fun conversation. I'm happy. I love talking to people in the business world. I do keynote speaking. My website is Sciencesstuck.com. The book is a really quick read. It's got tools. It's not let's sit down and carve out hours to read. Amazing. And I am on social media. You can find me there at Brit Frank.
1: Awesome. Well, Britt, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure. And I know that listeners are going to leave with at least a couple things that they can start to implement today in their next conversation. So I'm super grateful that you took the time and hopefully we're not strangers. Thank you so much. Your business needs strategic people leadership much earlier than you think. And lucky for you, over at People Principles, we've got you covered. We have launched some fractional head of people services where you can get a fractional head of people for a monthly retainer to help support you in managing the people side of your business. Perhaps you need more intense stuff where maybe you need some processes built out from scratch. You need to implement a performance review process, a handbook, a employee feedback survey. There's so many different things that you need. Well, I guess not so many, eight core things you need in your business and we can build that out for you. So go check out our fractional head of HR and People Operation Services at peopleprinciples.co.